is the first Sunday of Epiphany, which is the new season of the church that we are entering into. Epiphany is a fixed feast like Christmas. So in the same way that Christmas is every 25th of December, Epiphany is every 6th of January. And uh, so we celebrated the Epiphany on the 6th. Now this is the first Sunday of that season of Epiphany. And on that first Sunday of the season, we celebrate the baptism of our Lord. Baptism, this is a security up to this point in Galilee. And then when he goes down to the region of Judea, he's made known. He enters into his public ministry at the point of his baptism. And he reveals himself, and he's revealed by the Father as the Messiah. And so Jesus leaves obscurity in Galilee and he goes down to this point in the Jordan River where John is baptizing and neither one of them choose this place by accident. This is the place where in Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua, takes the people of Israel after they've been wandering in the wilderness and leads them across the river into the promised land. And so they go to that point, that point where the nation of Israel is washed in the waters of the river and enter into this new life in order to show that uh, the people of God are again being asked to leave behind the sin of wilderness. They're uh, being asked to give up that old life of Egypt. And they're entering in by uh, washing in that water of the Jordan. And so as Yeshua, uh, Joshua in the Old Testament, and now Yeshua, the Christ Jesus, are there in the waters of baptism, uh, John is there and he sees Jesus coming and he recognizes him. And John says, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. And Jesus, as he does so often, the gospel doesn't address that. He doesn't do like so many of us are tempted to do. Oh, you'll be all right. You're good enough. You're fine. Sure, you're worthy. He doesn't say that. Jesus focuses instead upon the will of the Father and upon the ministry of the Father. And he says, there's work for us to do. Let's get about the work of the Father. We're supposed to be revealing the righteousness of God. We're supposed to be doing the work of the Father. And so let's get about that work. And so John does baptize Jesus. And in the baptism, we see the Holy Trinity revealed and all of creation cleansed. See, the waters of baptism are a death just the way that the womb of the virgin is death. In the same way that the uh, tomb is death. So God descends into the womb of the virgin. He descends <coughs> into the waters of baptism. And he descends into the tomb. And in every case, he takes us and our humanity with him. 
See, he takes more than just the flesh of the Virgin Mary when he's made man. He takes more than than her tribe. He takes more than the people of, of Judea. He takes all of creation in his flesh. And he takes all of creation with him into the waters of baptism. He takes all of us, all of creation, down into those waters, and he cleanses us, and he brings all of creation up with him into everlasting life. And in so doing, he cleanses all of the water. So that all of the water of the creation, all of the water that we're baptized with, have already been blessed by Christ himself. So that any water that we choose for that purpose of God has already been cleansed and made an instrument of God's grace. And so we are washed with that same water that he has cleansed. And he rises up and we hear the voice of the Father. We see the person of the Son. And then like a dove, the Holy Spirit descends. And so we have all three persons of the Trinity revealed to us, made known to us, manifested to us here at his baptism. This isn't new. The Holy Trinity has been revealed in all the scriptures. We see the Holy Trinity revealed in Genesis. We see the Trinity revealed in these lessons from the psalm this morning. And we see the Trinity revealed in these lessons from Isaiah. You see the the I and the my that's referenced uh, here in, in our reading this morning. Chapter 42 of the prophet Isaiah. My servant, I uphold, my chosen, my soul. This is the Father speaking. The I and the my is the Father speaking. Who's he talking about? My chosen, my servant, that's Christ. That's the second person of the Trinity. He is the chosen servant who has come to do the work of the Father. So now we have the second person revealed here in Isaiah. And then he says, I will put my spirit upon him. And that, of course, is the Holy Spirit. So now we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here represented to us in chapter 42, verse 1 of Isaiah. This is nothing new. God has been revealing himself as Holy Trinity from the very beginning. And so he reveals himself here as the, as the Holy Trinity, and he talks about the coming of the Yeshua Mashiach, the, the, the Hebrew for, uh, for this Joshua that leads us into eternal life. And we read that he does it in order to establish the justice of God. And he does it in a really strange way. Right? When we usually think about justice being established, we think about law and order, right? When somebody comes into a town to establish justice, how do they do it? They do it through force, right? When we have justice established in our cities or in our countries, we expect police or military to establish and uphold that justice, right? To be uh, agents of the court, if you will. And there's a certain amount of aggression in that. And so here, Isaiah is talking about establishing a justice, but doing it in an extreme kind of gentleness. And a gentleness that is hard to imagine. It's so gentle. He says he won't break a bruised reed. Well, I don't know if you've ever had a bruised reed in your hand. They break. Once they've been bruised, there's really nothing you can do to keep that reed from breaking. But here we read that he won't even break the bruised reed. 
We read that the faint wick, if you've ever had a candle that's just about to go out, what can you do? You cup it, you hold it, you try to keep any kind of of breeze from it, but you need air to get to it. How do you not extinguish that candle that's about to go out? And yet we read that the Messiah's gentleness is so great that he won't even blow out that, that faint wicked candle. That's the extreme gentleness with which our Savior establishes justice. And that's our understanding that we've been seeing over and over again, that we enter into God's justice, uh, not through force, not through being uh, you know, forced into it or cajoled into it, but that we do it through mourning and through sorrow. We do it through fear when we recognize uh, in fearfulness the consequences of God and, and the consequences of being separated from Him. We become so uh, mournful, so sorrowful that we would be separated from our Father in Heaven, that we uh, give up everything to turn to Him. We mourn our own sins and we see how we've separated ourselves from God and we realize that we won't have that light, that warmth, that love that we so desperately need. And so we turn to Him. See, some people, when they're afraid, they freeze. They don't do anything. Some people, when they're afraid, they run away. The fear that we read about here in Isaiah and that we turn to in the Acts of the Apostles is a fear that we respond to by going closer to our Father in Heaven. By submitting to Him and saying, Lord, I need You. I need You to protect me. I need You to to care for me. I need Your grace. And this is the way that we read Cornelius the centurion has responded. See, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a soldier. And you would expect a a soldier to think that, again, justice would be established through aggression. But he's reading the prophets and he's responding. What do we read that he does in the Acts of the Apostles? Before this passage, we read that he is a man that fears God. So he gives alms. So out of, out of that fear, his response is to give generously to God. His response is to be in prayer. And so as he's giving his money, as he's giving his time, as he's fasting and praying, he is responding to that fear in this fashion. And what happens? The Lord appears to him and says, You've been found righteous before God due to your response to this fear. And so you're to sin for Peter. Now, Cornelius is doing everything he can to be a Jew. You'll notice, right? These people in the Bible are called God-fearers, right? Their response to God is to read the Scriptures and to do all these things, but they can't make that final step to becoming Jew. So he hadn't been able to enter into Judaism. He couldn't be circumcised. He couldn't uh, restrict his diet. And in his role as a centurion, he'd have to give that up. He He couldn't live that kind of a life. And so God responds to him and his righteousness, and he says, sin for Peter. We read that Cornelius is in Caesarea, and that Peter is in Joppa. So while Cornelius is praying and sends these people to St. Peter in Joppa, we read that St. Peter is also praying and fasting. Coincidence? Think that's just happenstance? They both received visions of God, and they were fasting and praying when they did that. Is that just an accident? Anybody here want to receive a vision of the Lord? I'm not going to expect everybody to raise their hands, because some of you might say, well, I don't know, maybe I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Right? We receive a vision of the Lord, He's going to say, go and do this. We may not want to go and do it, right? 
But if we do want to receive a vision of God, if we do want to receive that kind of direction, we see both Peter and Cornelius praying and fasting before the Lord, and he responds to them with these visions. Peter is doing that, and he's up on a rooftop, and he's been fasting, and we read that he grows hungry, and then you'll remember that this tablecloth, right, is descended out of heaven, and there's all these animals, many of them unclean, and the Lord says, rise up and eat, and Peter says, no thanks. Again, this is why many of us don't want to receive a vision, right? Because the Lord asks us to do something that we'd rather not do. Exactly what he does with Peter. No, thank you. Classic Peter, right? And the Lord says again, rise up and eat. And then Peter's starting to get it. Oh, oh, you're making all these things clean. You're making all of these things clean. You've made all of creation clean. And Jesus' baptism, he made all of creation clean. See, Peter here, ten chapters into the Acts of the Apostles, is still coming into a deeper knowledge and understanding of the Lord. Do you see that? And so then the Lord says, rise up, and at your door there's going to be men coming to you from Cornelius. Go with them. Again, Peter is thinking, no, thank you. These are Gentiles. He's not supposed to be hanging out with Gentiles. He's not supposed to be traveling to their homes. But the Lord's vision instructs him to go. And so Peter goes and he goes into the house of Cornelius. So now we have the backstory for Cornelius. We have the backstory for St. Peter. And our lesson this morning where we see Peter opening his mouth is Cornelius saying, so tell us what the Lord gave you to tell us. The Lord gave you some word. And Peter's word is, now I see that God shows no partiality. I've been shown that God is calling all people clean. He's calling the Gentiles to him. He's manifesting himself to all the peoples of the earth. It doesn't matter your tribe. It doesn't matter your language. It doesn't matter how you look. He's calling all people to him. And Peter preaches the gospel. That takes him about seven verses. When we think, oh, to preach the gospel is going to take all this time, he does it in about seven verses. And we read that the response to his preaching the gospel is that like Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends upon those gathered and they receive the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. It's Pentecost all over again. And St. Peter says, can we get some water? We need to baptize them. It's totally backwards, right? Aren't we supposed to be washed with water and then receive the Holy Spirit? St. Peter's saying, the Lord's ahead of us. He's already given them the Holy Spirit. We need to hurry up and baptize them. This is an interesting thing, right? Sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, baptism isn't necessary. Well, when the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost and they receive the Holy Spirit... They ask Peter, what now shall we do? And what does he tell them to do? Repent and be baptized. He's preached the gospel. They've received the Holy Spirit. Then what does he say needs to be done? They need to be baptized. That's what we're supposed to do. And this is the work of the church. If Jesus needed to be baptized, how much more do we? This is the work of the church, to baptize and to preach the gospel and for the Holy Spirit to come. We read especially in St. Peter's letters the importance then of teaching the ways of God, instructing people 
and the ways of God, instructing them in holiness and righteousness, right? We're supposed to be instructing them because it's because of the holiness and righteousness of Peter and Cornelius that they get these visions in the first place. Do we want to baptize people and have them receive the Holy Spirit and then have no clue about how to get a vision? Leaving them totally hungry for the vision of God. So we have to instruct after we baptize and how to live lives of righteousness so that everyone here can receive a vision about the course of God and what He's calling us to do. John got that instruction and he says, I'm not worthy. How many times have I heard that in the church? Oh no, Father Howard, I I couldn't do that. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. You're right. You're not. You're not good enough. None of you are good enough to serve God. None of you are smart enough. None of you are holy enough. I'm not good enough either. I'm not holy enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not worthy enough to serve God. If you all think I'm up here because I'm better, you're sadly mistaken. I've heard confession. I've got all the same sins. So we have to start at that place with John the Baptist. Because if John's not worthy, guess what? Nobody is. This is a man whose father, Zechariah, is a priest who goes into the Holy of Holies, whose mother is one of the holy faithful ones of God, waiting for the Messiah to come in obedience, who receives John the Baptist as an old woman, who meets the Virgin Mother. She actually sits down and has meals with the Virgin Mary, whose baby leaps in her womb for the Holy Spirit. And this child of hers who gives up everything for God and serves Him in complete obedience, is not worthy to serve our Lord. None of us are. So we start there. We start with that. None of us are worthy to serve God. He will give us His Holy Spirit. He will give us His grace to do His work in the church, to proclaim the gospel, to baptize, to call down the Holy Spirit, to instruct people into righteousness and holy living. This is the work of all the church, not just one of us. We are the priesthood of all believers. God is faithful. He will provide us His grace. He will give us everything each one of us needs so that this church is doing the work that we've been called to do. To proclaim the gospel so that all are receiving the vision of God and all are able to serve him with faithfulness and obedience, mourning our sins, grieving and fear of the Lord and responding with holiness and faithfulness. May we do so this day in all the days of our lives. Amen. Amen.